This is the re-education. The topic this week is elections and the peaceful transfer of power. My guest is Rich Lowry, the editor of National Review. Last month, Pennsylvania Republicans nominated a state senator named Doug Mastriano as their candidate for the governor's election in November. You may not know that name, but in Pennsylvania politics, Mastriano has been a menace. He's been trying his best to prove that Donald Trump won his state in 2020. On January 6, 2021, he organized buses for and attended the Stop the Steal rally to pressure Congress to delay or reject the certification of the 2020 election. And while he did not participate in the riot in Congress that day, and he's condemned that violence, he nonetheless believes the 2020 election was fixed. A Pennsylvania state senator who has helped spread President Trump's, former President Trump's unfounded allegations of election fraud says he's asking several counties to submit to a forensic investigation of last fall's election. Republican State Senator Doug Mastriano of Franklin County also wants a so-called audit of the May primary. Counties were asked to respond by July 31st with a plan to comply. Mastriano could theoretically issue subpoenas to hold out counties as long as he has a majority vote of his committee. No county election board, prosecutor, or state official has raised concerns about significant election fraud. State Attorney General Josh Shapiro is responding tonight. He says counties should refuse to participate in what he calls a, quote, partisan fishing expedition. He says the audit could risk decertifying counties' voting machines and could cost county taxpayers. Shapiro says if subpoenas are issued, his office will do everything it can to protect the state and its voters. One might think that Democrats in particular would have wanted to do everything they could to stop Mastriano in the primary. They are the party that has branded itself the last bulwark for American democracy. And if Mastriano is Pennsylvania's governor in 2024, he could nullify his state's vote in a close election. He could send what are known as faithless electors to Congress, who would ignore the will of Pennsylvanians and cast their state's votes for Trump, assuming Trump lost. And yet, the campaign of Josh Shapiro, Democratic nominee and current state attorney general, gave Mastriano a boost in the last two weeks of the election. Shapiro's campaign ran this ad. This is Republican State Senator Doug Mastriano. He's the Republican who's ahead in the polls for governor. He wants to outlaw abortion. It's Mastriano who wrote the heartbeat bill in Pennsylvania. And he's one of Donald Trump's strongest supporters. He wants to end vote by mail, and he led the fight to audit the 2020 election. If Mastriano wins, it's a win for what Donald Trump stands for. Is that what we want in Pennsylvania? For Pennsylvania Republicans that still adore Trump, this 30-second commercial is a strong argument for supporting a candidate who is threatening to foment a constitutional crisis in 2024. This would be like the RNC running an ad in the Democratic primary in 2020 attacking Bernie Sanders for wanting to forgive too much student debt and nationalizing health care. So what's going on with the Democrats in Pennsylvania? Shapiro has claimed that he just wanted to run ads for the general election earlier than usual. Sure. The real reason Shapiro ran in the ad against Mastriano is because in a year when the leader of the Democratic Party, President Joe Biden, is underwater in most national polls, it's easier to run against a nutcase who wants to litigate the 2020 election 
than a candidate who wants to litigate the Biden administration's record on inflation, COVID, and education. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, a party that preens about its steadfast commitment to electoral democracy should probably refrain from helping elect Republicans who threaten the peaceful transfer of power in the primary. Now, in fairness, Republicans this year are angry. Mastriano probably would have won the primary even if Shapiro hadn't run that ad touting his fidelity to Donald Trump. To this day, Trump insists that Biden cheated him out of the presidency in 2020, and he can't stop talking about it. This is despite the fact that all but one of Trump's campaign's lawsuits was rejected by the courts. This is despite subsequent audits of the election in swing states like Arizona and Wisconsin that found there wasn't enough voter fraud to affect the outcome. And this is despite Attorney General William Barr, no rhino squish, informing the president in 2020 that his claims of widespread election fraud were without merit or factual basis. To get a flavor of how crazy the discourse about 2020 is right now within the grand old party, just listen to Representative Mo Brooks on Fox News Sunday this week. And just to go on the record, there has been still no evidence or proof provided that there was any uh, sort of fraud in that. Any well, no, that's wrong. Don't, that I don't know why you people in the media just, keep I saying just, that, but that is absolutely false. That is absolutely false. You keep note, saying though, it every time, but what, that's absolutely what false. Is false sir? You had 150 congressmen and senators who absolutely disagreed with you on what you just said. So, what are you calling them? What are you calling them when you say 150? Uh, Republican senators and congressmen looked at the voter fraud issue and said there was a major problem. Now that sounds like a Trump guy, right? Except, and here's an amazing thing, Trump actually unendorsed Mo Brooks last month in his primary race to represent Alabama in the U.S. Senate because even Mo Brooks would not support Trump's fever dream fantasy that Congress has the power to reinstate him to serve out the remainder of Biden's term. The president and I had many conversations between September 1st and his decision to unendorse me that revolved around his being reinstated, uh, revolved around his wanting to rescind the election. And I can understand him wanting to do that, okay? He was robbed in my judgment in 2020, in his judgment he was robbed. And so I can understand that desire. Uh, the conflict was when I would explain the law does not permit us to do that. Our one shot at reversing the election, our one shot in an election contest under the United States Constitution and federal law is on January 6th. Now, to be sure, many Trump allies in Congress on January 6th voted to certify his electoral defeat. First and foremost was Vice President Mike Pence, who braved an angry mob that rioted on that day to preside over the peaceful transfer of power. And in that act, he was heroic. Nonetheless, the Republicans would like to have it both ways. They would like to say that they have a coalition that includes election deniers and election acceptors, a tent big enough for Mastriano and Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, who won his primary last month by sticking to his guns and still saying that Biden won his state of Georgia fair and square in 2020. Now, this tent will not hold. Trump is by far the favorite to win the Republican nomination in 2024, and he has made it abundantly clear that he only recognizes the results of elections that he wins. And here he is in the third debate in 2016, pretty much saying just that. You have been warning at re rallies recently that this election is rigged and that Hillary Clinton is in the process of trying to steal it from you. 
Your running mate, Governor Pence, pledged on Sunday that he and you, his words, will absolutely accept the result of this election. Today, your daughter Ivanka said the same thing. I want to ask you here on the stage tonight, do you make the same commitment that you will absolutely, sir, that you will absolutely accept the result of this election? I will look at it at the time. I'm not looking at anything now. I'll look at it at the time. What I've seen, what I've seen is so bad. First of all, the media is so dishonest and so corrupt, and the pile-on is so amazing. The New York Times actually wrote an article about it that they don't even care. It's so dishonest, and they've poisoned the minds of the voters. But unfortunately for them, I think the voters are seeing through it. I think they're going to see through it. We'll find out on November 8th, but I think they're going to see but, through but, it. But, sir, there's If a you look, excuse me, Chris, if you look at your voter rolls, you will see millions of people that are registered to vote. Millions. This isn't coming from me. This is coming from Pew Report and other places. Millions of people that are registered to vote that shouldn't be registered to vote. Now, we all know what happened next. Unexpectedly, Trump actually did win. And unlike Trump, Hillary conceded. Kind of. Um, last night, I congratulated Donald Trump and offered to work with him on behalf of our country. I hope that he will be a successful president for all Americans. Now, in this speech, she does concede the election, and yet her campaign did not quite accept her defeat. Her aides continued to spread the innuendo and disinformation that challenged the legitimacy of Trump's victory after Hillary Clinton lost. In their fine book on Hillary's 2016 campaign, Shattered, Jonathan Allen and Amy Parnas write, Hillary kept pointing her finger at Comey and Russia. In the days after the election, the authors described the following scene. Robbie Mook, her campaign manager, and John Podesta, the chairman of her campaign, quote, assembled her communications team at the Brooklyn headquarters to engineer the case that the election wasn't entirely on the up and up. For a couple of hours, with Shake Shack containers littering the room, they went over the script they would pitch to the press and the public. Already, Russian hacking was the centerpiece of the argument. End quote. It should be said here that the Kremlin really did hack the Democratic National Committee and Clinton campaign emails, and they spread them on the web through their own cutouts as well as WikiLeaks. Now, that damaged Hillary Clinton, and it helped Donald Trump. At the same time, the allegation that Trump's campaign had colluded with Russia was a fiction created by her campaign's opposition researchers and lawyers. We are now learning the full extent of this deception through the prosecution of one of the Clinton campaign lawyers, Michael Sussman. We now know that the Clinton campaign tried to entice the FBI to investigate Trump's campaign in 2016 and 2017. We know from other kinds of oversight that a dossier prepared by Fusion GPS and paid for by the Democratic National Committee was used to obtain a surveillance warrant on a Trump volunteer. Listen to my Russiagate episode for more. So in the aftermath of Hillary Clinton's loss, even some of her supporters tried a last-ditch effort to prevent the certification of the 2016 election. Sound familiar? by pressuring Republican electors to change their votes in December for the ceremonial process by which electors sort of cast their lot for president, reflecting the outcome of the voting in November. 
faithless electors. Chairman of her campaign, John Podesta, demanded an intelligence briefing on Russia's interference for those electors in the hopes that it might throw the election to the House of Representatives. Here's the cast of the popular show West Wing and other Hollywood actors in a YouTube ad that aired in the run-up to that certification process in 2016. Republican members of the Electoral College, this message is for you. As you know, our founding fathers built the Electoral College to safeguard the American people from the dangers of a demagogue and to ensure that the presidency only goes to someone who is, to an eminent degree, endowed with the requisite qualifications. An eminent degree. Someone who is highly qualified for the job. The Electoral College was created specifically to prevent an unfit candidate from becoming president. There are 538 members of the Electoral College. You and just 36 other conscientious Republican electors can make a difference by voting your conscience on December 19th and thereby shaping the future of our nation. I'm not asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm not asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm not asking you to vote for Hillary Clinton. As you know, the Constitution gives electors the right to vote for any eligible person. Any eligible person, no matter which party they belong to. But it should certainly be someone you consider especially competent. Especially competent to serve as President of the United States of America. I don't bring this up to equate what Trump did in 2020 to what Clinton did in 2016. Trump was the sitting president and used his office to pressure state officials to steal an election he lost. In this respect, he abused his constitutional authority in a way that Clinton could not. Clinton's supporters did not riot at Congress to prevent the certification of the election either, although President Trump's inauguration was far more violent than many people remember. But Clinton's scheme to create a cloud over Trump's presidency enticed the FBI to investigate her political opponent and then try to turn a few Republicans to change their votes in the Electoral College violated the same norm that Trump did. Respect for the peaceful transfer of executive power. Respect for the outcome of elections. And to this day, there are millions of Democrats who believe that Trump stole the election in 2016, just as there are millions of Republicans who believe Biden stole the one in 2020. And this is why I have no patience for the moralizing of partisans when it comes to electoral legitimacy on either side. If Democrats were serious about getting to the bottom of January 6th, they wouldn't have placed people like Adam Schiff, who insisted for years that Trump had colluded with Russia, on the committee investigating Trump's attempt to steal the 2020 election. And if Republicans were serious about getting to the bottom of the Clinton campaign dirty tricks in 2016, they would demand that Trump come to his senses and acknowledge he lost the 2020 election. Because if these trends continue, our next presidential election could very well be our last. We at the Reeducation are delighted to have the editor of National Review, Rich Lowry, who is, I think, just one of the must-read people in the Trump era for really reasoned, moderate, thoughtful and not knee-jerk responses to this tumultuous pol political time that we have. Thanks so much for coming on The Reeducation, Rich. My pleasure. I'll accept uh, thoughtful uh, and whatnot, but not moderate. 
Well, I don't mean moderate in terms of the ideological. I mean moderate as a kind of temperament. Right. In I appreciate the best it. possible way. So I wanted to ask you, Rich, that first of all, I want to start with a very general question. Are you worried about the long American tradition of a peaceful transfer of power in light of what happened in 2020 and also Trump's insistence two years later, or I guess a year later, that he won that election and the millions of supporters that he has that also believe that? Yeah, it, it's worrisome. I mean, Trump, if he could have overturned the result, would have. There, there wouldn't have been any hesitation on his part. He wouldn't have worried about what, what it would have done to the, the stability and future of our great republic. He just would have done it. He couldn't, in part because key people along the, the way just weren't willing to play ball. People in Georgia, you know, we're, we're, we just had the primary results there. Brian Kemp, Brian Raffsenberger, key players. You had no state legislature willing to play ball with them, no governor willing to play ball with them, and perhaps most importantly, the vice president of the United States not willing to play uh, ball with them. And it's a decentralized system, so there's not one bus button you can push. There's not one official you can rely on to change the result. That's kind of the distorted view that Trump and his advisors are trying to give of Pence's power, but Pence appropriately said, no, I don't have that authority. But he's had considerable success, success since then, convincing uh, a lot of Republicans that the election was stolen and some some success, not total success, boosting candidates who insist some sincerely, like this Doug Masterino, who won the gubernatorial election in Pennsylvania. Some, I think, cynically, you know, I put kind of J.D. Vance, the Senate Republican mm-hmm. Senate candidate in Ohio in that that bucket have played along. So if we replay the same scenario in 2024, would you have more Republicans willing to play ball with Trump? Yeah, I think you would. That And that's a worrisome factor. I still think it'd be the, the system is so robust. It has so many checks and, and balances and is so decentralized. It, it'd be really hard to pull off, but it, it's not crazy to worry about it. Now, you mentioned Doug Mastriano, who is the Republican nominee for governor in Pennsylvania. He has said some absolutely mental things about, you know, seizing voting machines if they were crooked and things like that. He seems to be a true believer. He, He did attend the Stop the Steal rally on January 6th, although I don't think he went into the actual Congress. If there had been someone who went went into the the actual Capitol, he or she would have won the gubernatorial uh, right. right. Pennsylvania. Was- fair, fair enough. But I mean, my que- I guess I have two questions on this. One is, if you're a conservative in Pennsylvania and you really don't like the looks of this Democrat who they nominated Mr. Fetterman, who is, I think at times identified as a socialist, can you justify voting for somebody who seems to be sort of that opposed to stuff that a couple of years ago we sort of took for granted, the Electoral College and how these process, how the process works? Yeah, if I were a Republican in, in Pennsylvania, I, I wouldn't have any problem voting for Oz. You know, I, it's mm-hmm. not not my kind of candidate. He's played the Trump game. But Masterino is a different a different matter. And, and I think he's very unlikely to win, but I'd have a, a hard time voting for him because he he believes and has promoted these poisonous lies that are polluting the Republican Party and, you know, taken to their logical 
um, limit. And if they had enough people believe them are dangerous, you know, dangerous to, to our, the, our institutions and the future of our, our country. Okay. Now, now that said, is there, and I'm not talking about a legitimate argument for why the election was stolen, because I think you and I both agree that, that, that there isn't really one, but there is a legitimate argument, I think, to look at 2020 and say, the way that some of the states changed the rules for voting was suspect, happened kind of at the last minute under pressure from lawyers for the national party. And certainly the censorship of the Joe Biden story on social media. Is there a kind of soft critique to argue that the conditions for the 2020 election were problematic? Yeah, I mean, they're certainly problematic. I mean, the, the social media and the media environment is always terrible for Republicans, always biased against Republicans, and was worse than ever in 2020. We've talked a lot offline about the Hunter Biden story. Yes, it was we have. Quite yeah. ridiculous, the idea that this was Russian disinformation and that you had people actually suppressing it on that basis. But would that have turned the election? I, I, I really, I'm not saying it would have turned yeah. the election. I'm asking, listen, I mean, we've we've all written about international elections, elections in other countries. And, you know, it's good government groups. The UN will say, you know, the environment in the media was such that it was favorable. Now, like, no, there weren't conservative reporters being arrested. But I think when you saw the suppression, not just of that, the labeling of certain things that Trump said that were not necessarily, you know, the, the sort of reliance on partisan fact checkers, there was accumulation of things that I'm trying to be as charitable as possible that you could argue doesn't mean that the election was anyway stolen, but certainly could raise questions about, you know, whether this process which is supposed to be above partisanship, you know, became partisan. Yeah, the, the, the media is not fair. It just isn't. It wasn't fair in 2016. Right. It's always a challenge you have yeah. as a Republican. But it's and one thing. It's one thing to not have great coverage. It's another thing to actually have tech companies making sure that you can't share stories or locking the accounts of the New York Post. I think that's yeah. a different kettle. Yeah, it was, it was, it's always been bad. It was bad in 2016. It was worse in 2020. There's no doubt about it. And it, it tilts the it tilts the playing field. And as for your Republican, it's incumbent on you to find ways to get around that and go go over their heads, which Trump did successfully in 2016, wasn't able to do in 2020 for all sorts of other reasons that, that I think ha- have to do with him and the limits of his governance and his, his presidential style or lack of presidential style. On the, the procedures in the states, yeah, there were last minute changes. There were efforts in various states to not not efforts in various states. You had you know just absentee ballot applications scattered around to everyone, which is a really bad uh, practice. You had you know courts changing things at the last minute. So all all that was was bad and is to be avoided. You know my my preference is for in person voting, whether it's early or not. I prefer election day in-person voting, but the, the ship sailed on that. And we're, we're always going to have some element of voting by mail and, and early voting. But was the election stolen? And it's just, the answer is no. And if they, they were stealing it, obviously they would have stolen it, I think, uh, across the board, right? But you had this disparity that you saw all over the map between Republican House candidates and Trump. And the difference was Republican House candidates weren't Trump. They hadn't turned off suburban voters to the extent Trump had, and and they ran, you know, four points or whatever it was better than Trump, and that's the difference between Trump losing and those guys winning, and that's that's the the basic story. But I've I've favored, you know, 
rational laws like in, in Georgia to tighten up some of this stuff and, and look at look at the system uh, anew, that to me is an appropriate rational response to what we saw in 2020. So I want to ask you this, that as a matter of tactics, it seems to me that if you if you can get more Georgia results where I hate the term election denier, but people who believe that 2020 was stolen are defeated in Republican primaries, then overall the nation is in better shape. So what does it mean that what seems to be a kind of reasonable position, you could disagree with, you know, voting procedures, when that's described as Jim Crow 2.0, or you have Democrats kind of conflating people who raise concerns about the changes to voting procedures or, or voting integrity, and then the really crazy stuff. I mean, in some ways, do you think that the problem is exacerbated? Which is just, I'm not trying to blame Democrats for, I, for what Trump is inspiring in people. I think that there is a lot, Trump bears a lot of responsibility and other people on the, on the right bear a lot of responsibility. But in some ways, do you think that, I don't know, the, call it democratic messaging, that any kind of Republican concern about getting back to pre-COVID voting is, is, you know, Jim Crow. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And there are a couple of elements to what Trump did in 2020 that were so bad. But one of the most undermining faith in the election, just saying it was stolen outside right. of anything he was doing. To- and before he ran, yeah. saying he, wouldn't, right. he didn't know if he would accept yeah. the results, right, depending and on Biden, what Biden right. and the Democrats have done exactly the same thing, exactly <laughs> the same thing. In January, Biden stands up and gives a speech about U.S. democracy being on the, the precipice of collapse because of yes. the Georgia election law, which was absurd and hysterical and a, a moral panic or an immoral panic, maybe, based on these relatively minor changes in Georgia. I mean, they focus a lot on not being able to, to provide people food and drink in, in line. And that's because, you know, candidates for office, you know, state rep or something would have their campaign shirt on, be handing slices of pizza out and look right in the line before people get to the polling places, which is just inappropriate. But you can you can bring your own food and drink. You can have a table set up near near the line where people are about to collapse. If starvation, they can go get their piece of pizza. So the idea that that was a, a problem and it was based on other laws in places like New York that no one had ever complained about. So that was always absurd. The absentee ballot, they changed. It, it used to be signature verification. People's signatures change over time. It's a little bit subjective, you know, squinting and looking. So instead, you you write down your driver's license number or state ID number, which is a number, and everyone knows whether it's legit or not. This is something actually Stacey Abrams herself had pushed for. So, but they say, oh, that's limiting absentee balloting or restricting. It's not. It's just changing the form of verification. Actually, early hours. There's going to be more about our hours of of early voting. So there's just there's nothing. There was just nothing to it, and they they just spun up this this fantasy partly sincerely because they're misinformed and kind of whipped into this frenzy in their own little echo chamber and partly for cynical uh, reasons so it's it's really bad what they did i think now hopefully it's just going to be memory hold they're going to kind of forget they ever said it because it's been totally discredited by the early vote in in georgia and then the actual- well stacy abrams says that, that that you can't that these are two different phenomena you know like suppression just because you have record turnout 
in primary voting after the law. I mean, I'm it's a I, I think it's a bad faith argument, but yeah, I mean, point taken. You're not even like if you if you're suppressing the vote and all you need to do to um, defeat this vote suppression is to urge people to go out and vote. There's no voter suppression. I, I mean, there might be some some restrictions you don't like or security measures you don't like. But it's not suppression. And and to go going back to something you mentioned in, in your question, queuing this up, you know, drop boxes didn't exist in Georgia. They were an emergency measure that were adopted in 2020. And they Georgia ended up keeping them, right? But but scaling them back and making sure they're in secure locations. And the idea that this was Jim Crow is also just completely absurd because one, the, the drop boxes exist, which they didn't in, in prior to 2020. And two, if you don't like the Dropbox, you know, or can't get a Dropbox, there's something called a mailbox. And then there's also, you can go and vote in person. And there's, you know, you can go and vote in person early. You can go vote same day. And another thing they focused a lot on is long lines. Long lines, you know, if you have to stand five hours in line to vote, that is a problem. I think we can all agree. But that has to do with local election administration. Do they have enough polling places? Are the polling places competently run? And the, the places that have had big problems are the big populist counties run by Democrats. And the actual Georgia election law for the first time said, you know, if you have a longer than an hour wait on average at a polling place, you need to do something. You need to add a polling place. You need to add machinery. So the, the lines were not a Republican conspiracy, one, and right. two all tried to address. So again, it's just that this this was a total smear. So, and and and, and you're absolutely right on the, but I want to get at something else here, which is that it seems that we are living in a political age where, you know, every norm violation from one side is met by a norm violation on the other. And so even though, again, I am not in the camp that is blaming the fact that there is a large plurality in the Republican Party that doesn't think that the 2020 election was fair and that it was stolen. I primarily, again, place that blame on Trump for saying it all the time. However, I think that the Democrats in many ways, not just in how they talked about Georgia and how many how many Democrats in Pennsylvania were so, oh, kind of supporting Mastriano subtly, hoping that they would have their guy run against him. Very similar, I might add, to, you know, some of the, you know, support some some strange new support for Trump in 2016 before he got the nomination. So is there a sense that even though the Democrats are insisting with the January 6th committee that this is the most existential threat to democracy ever and yada, 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 but at the same time, you know, they're stoking the fire a little bit. And I think there is a, there is a, you, you should be able to talk about that phenomenon on the Democratic side while also still full-throated saying yes, and Trump shouldn't be saying what he's saying and it's wrong and all that. Yeah, Absolutely. And once again, Eli, we're the two people, I think, in the country who who believe this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not to equate them. I don't think you can say something that this is a this is bad and I'm not equating it. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to be like everything comes down on some sort of judgment. So 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 I want to sort of clarify that. And here's another question I have, which is that is the do you believe that this has been a long time coming? Like, really? I mean, we throughout American history, there have been stolen elections, as we know. And, you know, but since 2000 and the bizarre election that came down to the Supreme Court, you know, in terms of recounting votes in Florida. Have we seen a kind of erosion of faith 
in the outcome of these elections? And do you think that that has anything to do with Trump or is Trump sort of a new phenomenon because we've never had a president who didn't accept, you know, you know, the final judgment of the Electoral College? Okay, so it's a great question. I think it's, it's, it's been a long time coming and the the long sweep of American history because it's not anything new. I mean, you look at the contention yeah. 1790s and the Federalists think think the the Democrats are in league with French revolutionaries. They're going to set up guillotines and every street corner. And if they win, Andrew election, Jackson got yeah. got robbed by John Quincy Adams. And exactly. So this is we we are in some sense I think kind of miscued by even even if you weren't alive then there there's a sense that like the the kind of golden decades after World War II, you know, from the from the 50s somewhere into, you know, maybe the 1970s. It actually wasn't that long of time of relative consensus. That's kind of the norm in American history. And it's just not. That was the exception in American history. So we're leaving, living in a more normal time in that sense. But you're right to focus, you know, on, on if we just look at the last 20 years, 2000, Democrats didn't accept that. There's really been well, no- Well, Gore did. And that's a big difference. The leadership of the party yeah. certainly did. There were plenty of Democrats who believed it was that they couldn't accept it. And that's also true. Yeah. Yeah. But but the, I mean, the Democrats today, I mean, the prominent Democrats will say the Supreme Court stole it for for Bush. So no, no president's really been accepted as totally legitimate by the other side since maybe George H.W. Bush, because W was was Florida. Bill Clinton is like he didn't win 50 percent either time. And as a pot smoking draft dodger. Obama is this kind of haze of illegitimacy, like who, who, who is this guy? And you had kind of the birther uh, conspiracies. And then, of course, Trump and and now Biden. So, I mean, everyone sort of thinks that the other guy is either illegitimate or stole the election. But Trump just took it to a, a whole new level. And, and again, it was bad enough for what he said, but that wasn't as bad as what he did. And January 6th, I think kind of the rioting, although it was a national embarrassment it was really besides the point. I mean, they, they could have occupied the Capitol for a week and it wouldn't have mattered. I mean, the, the Congress would have met someplace else and certified the election and eventually it would have been cleared out. But the thing that Trump was trying to do to get Pence to monkey with the electoral yeah. count, that that was the main action that day. That was the worst thing that could have happened. And it didn't because of Pence's courage. But the downside is Pence has paid enormous political price within within the Republican Party for for just standing up for a basic constitutional principle. So with a few minutes we have left, Rich, I would love for you to sort of walk us through maybe how we get out of it from a perspective of somebody who is on the right, Republican Party. And, you know, because I have to say, I I, I understand that one can disagree on this, but I don't think the approach of the January 6th committee, the effort to try to say that every Republican is in the same kind of basket on the election. I don't, I actually think that that has the opposite effect. It kind of binds reasonable Republicans to whack jobs because they feel that there's this unfair kind of, you know, that, that the Democrats are not playing by the rules either. And that there's a double standard. So what's your like, how do we get out of it? I mean, I hope there's more Georgias. That's what my hope is, you know, that eventually Republican voters sort of assert themselves and say, this is not a winning issue. You're not going to win this way. But what's your view on that? Yeah. So I don't think we get out of it anytime soon or easily. But the key, you know, is just for everyone, one, to tell tell the truth. And and this is where, you know, 
Brian Kemp and Brad Ratzensberger really held up the standard. I mean, they, they just never bent to it. They never bent to the, the lies, even though it seemed like potentially it could end their careers. Certainly with, with Ratzenberger, that seemed very plausible until election night, really. And I mean, he uh, faced death threats because of this stuff. It's yeah. pretty awful. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, to honor norms and processes and institutions and realize they're important and not to be too result oriented, right? We, I mean, we all want to win and we believe important, uh, you know, sincerely believe in certain outcomes are going to be better for the country. But but there, there's a there's a way to go about these things. And what what you're getting at, if if the left is just uh, just throwing norms at Trump, and then when it, there's a Supreme Court decision potentially coming down on row that they hate, and then they're okay with demonstrating outside the home Supreme Court justices, they have no credibility, and and they're doing their own to trash their uh, our norms and and our institutions. So as long as no one takes a norm seriously or just considers them a weapon against the other side, you're going to continue with the spiral, which I, I assume actually will continue for some. And I, I would just maybe add one thing, which is to attempt to conduct politics, whether you're an activist, a journalist or a politician, in a way that you're tr still trying to persuade people who may not always agree with you. Right. So if you only think that you're talking to people who are, you know, 100 percent behind you all the time, then you're going to get sucked into this kind of stuff. Yeah. And if and, we, and you know, if we, if we get back to like just confidence in our ideas, you know, which is. Yeah. And that's, that's another important thing to remember just politically where, where, you know, the energy of the base is, is important, ginning up your base, both sides to do it, both sides said. Uh, and they, and they, as you've written and they have a legitimate complaint a lot of times that, you know, the, 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 the consensus seekers didn't get what they wanted and they, they, you know, they, they haven't delivered. So that's a fair point. You know, everybody recognizes that. But when you're talking about like institutions and everything like that, it seems like we live in a country where 80 percent of the people agree pretty much on some of these basic questions, which have now been reopened. And then there's like 10 percent on both sides that are are, are screwing everything up. Yeah, but the, I mean, the middle of the electorate is still just really important. I mean, Trump yeah. won the independence in 16 and lost them in 2020. And that, you know, if you want to just like look at look look at the election through one prism that that's an okay one. And that's why I lost, you know? So the, those having energized voters and big turnout is obviously important, but the middle of the electorate people hit who are persuadable, who actually are persuadable is still, is still really key. So final, and this is hard, but if it's Biden Trump in 2024 and Trump has not had you know, Paul in the desert moment and realize that this is really bad and he should stop talking about how he really won the election. Can you vote for a guy who has demonstrated clearly that he will not respect the results of an election he loses? Yeah, so I I, I didn't vote for Trump either time. And I kind of have an out because I've never lived in a, a swing state. So my my vote doesn't matter. I've never voted for a, a Democrat in my life and and I don't think ever will unless there's some sea change in my beliefs or in the Democratic Party. But I'd uh, I'd avail myself, I assume, of a, a write-in in that circumstance. I think, you know, oddly maybe the 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 more certain part of that equation is that Trump would win the nomination and be on the ballot rather than Biden. I, you know, Biden's insists obviously he's going to do it. I think Democrats really need him to do it because they're not good alternatives, but I'm not sure whether he's actually going to be up to it. Whereas Trump you know, Georgia was a very bad night for him, but still it's a mega party. 
And some of these primary endorsements that haven't really worked out is because, you know, someone else has outmagged the the Trump endorsed candidate. And no one's going to outmaga Trump if Trump's actually right. in place. And a lot of a lot of the most plausible or potent candidates probably wouldn't run. So, you know, I'd say it's probably like a 70% chance Trump will run for the nomination and probably like a 70% chance he'd win if he if he does run. Well, I, I'm waiting for the people for the person who says. I didn't vote for Trump in 2020 because he was too soft on these issues. That's why I wrote in Madison Cawthorn. <laughs> um, kidding. But uh, anyway, Rich, thank you so much for your time. And I really appreciate it. And uh, please check out Rich's great podcast, The Editors. Also his podcast with Andy McCarthy, which is the best podcast you're going to get on legal issues in the Constitution, in my view. And please rate and review The Reeducation. Five stars. Give us more if you can. Write a very nice review. It means a lot to us. Thanks again. This has been The Reeducation with Eli Lake, a nebulous production. Please find us wherever you find your podcast. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. It helps other people find the show and makes us feel really good about what we're doing.